Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to Knowing Him. Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to our second episode uh, of our podcast, Knowing Him. At Knowing Him, we have one focus, and that is coming into a more intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God the Father. And of course, the Holy Spirit makes all that possible. So uh, we're very excited that you're here. Uh, Before I pray, let me just tell you that what you're going to learn today is going to be life-changing. How so? Well, it's going to change the way you interact with other people right out of the gate. It's not going to take you six months of practice to bring what you're going to learn today into your life. You're going to be able to do it as soon as this podcast is over. But it's also key that what you're going to learn today, you're going to find out that there's a button that you can push that turns off the power of your anxiety, your fear, your stress, things you dread. Uh, Literally, there's a button, and we're going to show you what that button is. When you press it, man, it instantly turns off the power of your anxiety, worries, and fears. Let me ask you a question. Uh, If I say, what are you worried about right now? Is there an anxiety, something you dread, you're going to have a meeting, or you're going to have a phone call, or an in half an hour, you have to do something, or maybe you know that there's a bill coming around that you're not going to be able to pay. What are you worried about? If I said, give me, um, j- give me just one thing you're anxious about, fearful about, what would that be? Think about it for a minute. Can you think of it? Okay. Now think about stress. Is there anything in your life right now that is stressing you? And uh, I'm going to show you the same button that can turn off uh, the power of your worries and fears and anxiety can also turn off the power of stress in your life. So very, very important. At the same time, uh, how about sadness, regret, uh, shame or resentment, anger? Um, Do any of those... Uh, have a little tiny grip in a corner of your mind or heart. Uh, there's something that, you know, you just can't get over. You can't get by. Because this same button that I'm going to show you uh, will turn off the power of those things as well. It's not that it necessarily eliminates the source of all that, but it turns their power. You see, as soon as we move into anxiety or worry, fear, or we move into regret, sadness, resentment, uh, any of those, they literally take power over us. We become the slave, they become the master, and that's no fun. And so we're going to show you how to deal with that in just a few minutes. But let's start this time just with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the joy, for the honor, for the blessing of knowing you and knowing your son. Father, we thank you that you don't want us to be a stranger to you, but that you've clearly revealed that you want our joy, our focus, our glory in life to be you and your son. You've made it clear that you want us to hear your son. 
and to live life the way he directs us. So, Father, we are yours right now. I pray for whoever is my listener that you would uh, just open their heart and mind to what's about to be said. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take the words of Jesus Christ and his life and his behavior and uh, just drive it permanently into our minds and our hearts. And we thank you for all of this in that name that's above every other name in heaven and on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, let's get started. Now, I'm going to show you something. One of my, uh, you know, I love the Gospels, if you haven't figured that out yet. I love the 1900 statements of Christ so much that I've been meditating in those now for over 15 years. And, uh, and every day they impact my life. Um, I love the stories of Jesus' interactions with others. Why? Because when we see him act with others, we're actually seeing the heart and the mind of the Father. Jesus said, everything I do, I do exactly what pleases the Father. Jesus said at the Last Supper, um, the things that I say, the, the works that I do, it's not me, it's the Father working in me. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we see Jesus interact in these different situations with characters from the New Testament, we're actually not only seeing him, we are seeing the Father. So I love that. I love That's one way I get to know the Father and the Son. And uh, so we're going to look at a story today that you're very familiar with, and we're not going to look at the whole story. This isn't a Bible study today. What we're going to do is see something in this that you may have never seen before. Now, the story itself is found in John chapter 4. And uh, in John chapter 4, we see Jesus and his disciples. They've been uh, walking for about six hours. Uh, They probably started around six in the morning, and it's now noon. And of course, that's in the desert heat of the Middle East. And um, so the disciples are getting hungry, so they want to go into a, a nearby town to get some food. And Jesus basically says, no, I'm going to just stay here and rest. Well, uh, so they leave. And while he's resting, a woman comes up to the well. Now, this well has been there for hundreds of years. It's a deep well. You need something to draw the water with. But she comes with a big pot uh, that she's going to fill up with water and then go back to her home, which is probably a couple miles away. And uh, I'm sure one of these pots was, was a pretty big load to carry. Well, she comes, and um, Jesus engages her. Now, the first thing you need to realize, to, to realize what an amazing event this is, uh, the Jews hated Samaritans. Um, the Jews thought or viewed Gentiles at this time, at the time of Christ, as people that didn't weren't Jewish, they viewed them as dogs, you know, and you, you, don't, um, you don't really pay attention to dogs. I guess you feed them to keep them alive, but you really don't pay that much attention to them back then. Um, and they considered Gentiles worse than dogs. They considered Samaritans, which were half Gentile, half Jew, as uh, really worse than the Gentiles. If they saw a Samaritan coming down the street that they're walking toward, uh, they'll cross the street rather than be on the same side as the Samaritans. They would go miles out of their way 
in their journeys to avoid Samaria. Uh, not because they feared the Samaritans, but because they, they thought they were unclean. They didn't want to get near them. They were below their dignity. Um, it was racism of the worst degree, if we want to talk about that. And so Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Now, at the same time, most men didn't talk to women apart from their wives. Um, that was considered not the right thing to do. And uh, so they didn't engage ordinary women unless they were related to them. And they, most men and the culture of the Middle East and, and Israel wasn't much different, a little different, but not much, was that women were uh, probably worth more than their uh, animals that their livelihood and their food depended on, uh, but not a lot more. They were there to serve the needs of the uh, man and to serve the needs of, of the children. That was the role of women, period. Well, Jesus, as it turns out, changed everything. He didn't pay attention to those norms, and we see it here. Uh, a woman comes to the well and she's taking back enough water to meet the needs of, of her household. Uh, and I have no idea how much that was, but I'm sure it was more than I would like to carry for a couple of miles. And she's about to serve herself, and Jesus engages her. He says, give me something to drink. Now, I'm sure he said it in a way that wasn't offensive to her, because she didn't say hey, that's a rude comment. No, but she said something quite different. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman? That just didn't happen. And yet it's happening right in front of her. And he says, uh, woman, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him to give you water. If you knew who he was and the gift of God, you would have asked him for water and he would have given you water that is living water, literally flowing water, living water. And she basically engages, well, what are you going to, where are you going to get that? You know, you have nothing to draw it with. And so they're talking all about that and, and they engage in this conversation and they have this conversation and toward the end of the conversation, well, just to get into the story a little bit, um, he says, the water I give, you drink from this water in the well, you're going to get thirsty again. But he who drinks from the water I give will never thirst. In fact, the water I give will turn into a fountain that will end up producing eternal life. And she says, wow, give me that. How can I get that? And he said, well, go call your husband. And she says, uh, I don't have a husband. And a little deception there. And he says, you know, it's, it's right. You're right. You don't have a husband. But you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. So, so you're right. You don't have a husband. Well, she's now in shock. How could this man, who's never met me or anybody I know, how could he know everything about me? And uh, so they talk a little bit more. Uh, she talks about a position they have. He, he counters that. He basically tells her some amazing things. He said, he said, it really doesn't matter where you worship. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And frankly, ma'am, you don't worship 
the God that's really God. You worship that which you do not know. There's that word, know. We worship the God we know because salvation is from the Jew. It all emanated with God's dealing with, with uh, the people of Israel. And, um, but when he tells her to call her husband and tells her about herself, she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And uh, she goes, you know, I mean, like you would, just imagine meeting a total stranger and they know all about your life. And the prophet is the highest thing she could think of at the moment. So they talk a little bit more. She asks him a question that only a prophet could answer. But then she says, we know that when the Messiah comes, he will teach us all things. And uh, she's acknowledges that they're expecting a Messiah, just like Israel was. Well, Jesus does something that is truly amazing here, is he reveals to her, he says, the one you're talking to is he. He's telling her, I am the Messiah. Oh my gosh, he had not said that to any religious leader When they challenged him, he wouldn't tell them. He told his disciples not to tell anybody who he was. Uh, He told demons when he would cast out demons, and they'd say, we know who you are. You're the anointed one of God. He'd basically say, be quiet. Don't tell anybody. My time has not yet come. And yet, rather than sharing this incredible truth with the religious leaders of his day, he shares it with a woman. And not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. Oh my goodness, if you knew the impropriety of that, as far as his culture was concerned, uh, it was a huge event. But he did. Well, what does she do? She runs back to her village. She's so excited, she forgets her water pot. The very reason she came to that well was to get water And she's so excited that this might be the Messiah, she runs back to her village and she starts talking to all the men. Why does she talk to the men? Well, ladies, you know the answer. She's had five husbands. The one she's living with now isn't a husband. And she is an outcast with women. Uh, She is basically societal trash in the mind of the women. Now, that's not true, not in the mind of God, but as far as women. So they treated her. So she didn't go back and tell all of her girlfriends because she didn't have any. She went back and told the men. She says, can it be? This man told me everything about my life. Can it be that he's the Messiah? Well, it says a lot of the men, when she got specific with them, went ahead and believed her, but they went to see for themselves. So they travel back to the well to, to meet Jesus personally. And later they come back to her and they say, now we know he's the Messiah. We believe it, uh, not because of what you said, see their pride enters into it, but because of what he said. We've now heard him. In fact, they pleaded with Jesus to remain with him them for two days. And he did. So he spent two days discipling these brand new believers, even though they were Samaritans. Okay, now that's the background. That's not the heart of where we're going yet. So she runs off to tell the village and his disciples come 
and they come with food. And they said, Lord, would you like something to eat? He says, no, I've, I've already eaten. And they think, wow, who brought him food? Nobody brought him food. They're looking at him. There's no food around. And he says, my food is to do the will of my father, the one who sent me. That's what really nourishes me. That's what energizes me. That's what makes me, makes me excited is to do the Father's will. Now, here we go into what's going to change your life are these next few statements. Jesus said to his disciples, because they saw him talking to the woman right before she left, and as weird as it was, they were afraid to bring it up with him because they didn't want him to say, oh, are you guys idiots or what? No, they, so they just kind of kept it quiet among themselves that he had just finished talking to a Samaritan woman. And um, Jesus said, do you not say there are four months and then will come the harvest? I tell you, he says, behold. Now that word in the Greek and, and the tense that it's in, it's in the imperative, which means it it's a command. It's really saying, hey, guys, listen to this. I'm going to tell you something really important. No matter where your mind was, come into the moment right now because I'm about to tell you something really, really important. Well, if it was important for them, uh, it's important for you and me. So he says, behold, I tell you, look up. Look up. Get your eyes out of where they're looking, get your mind out of where it's dwelling, and look up. The fields are already white for harvest. That means they're ripe. They're ready to be harvested right now. You think the harvest is going to be in four months? You're missing the harvest that's right in front of you. Look up. Behold, the fields are white unto harvest. And then he says, you got to start harvesting uh, so you can rejoice later on with the people that did the sowing. You know, you harvest a crop, but somebody else planted that crop. And now you come along and that crop's right in front of you. Okay, so what was he telling them? Get your mind out of the future. See, they were waiting for the next great event. They had already seen Jesus turn water to wine. That was pretty cool. Um, but they're waiting for the next great event. Well, it wasn't gonna, they weren't gonna have to wait long because he was gonna feed 5,000 people, 5,000 plus, and we see that in John chapter six. But what they, they kept thinking, okay, Jesus is gonna do something great, then we will harvest. No, he says, behold, look up, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest's that is right in front of you. And he basically teaches them this principle that we're going to look at today, and that's coming into the moment. Did you know that uh, according to a couple different scientific journals and surveys, the average person spends almost 50% of the time they're awake thinking and dwelling in their mind about either the future or the past. Um, this morning when you were uh, driving to work or on your way home from work, where was your mind? 
Were you thinking about what was going to happen when you got to work or what's going to happen when you get home? Uh, You get into that elevator at work or you walk into the office and uh, you walk right by people uh, because you're thinking, okay, I got to get to my office. This is the first thing I've got to do. Okay, that's living in the future. The future isn't just next year or five years from now. Uh, It's not next month. It's not just when I'm going to be on vacation. The future is 30 seconds from now. And the past isn't just 10 years ago. It was 10 minutes ago. And you see, what what scientists have determined is that we spend almost 50% of our conscious awaking time in either the future or the past. Now, what happens when we do that? Well, When our mind is in the future, we experience all sorts of negative things. When it's in the past, we experience all sorts of negative things. But more important, and that's what Jesus is saying here, is when we're in the future of the past, we miss the harvest that is right in front of us. Right in front of us. I mean, it is crazy what goes on around us that we miss. Now, Now we're going to shift a little bit. I'm going to come back to this story in a minute. But does God live in the past, the future, or the present? Well, if you said past or future, you're wrong. God doesn't really know time. All of time is present for God. Okay, That's why when Moses was getting ready to go tell Israel that God is putting him on a mission, he says, who shall I say is sending me? And God answers him, say that I am is sending you. God isn't the I was, and he's not the I will be. He is the great I am. All of life is in the present to God. He knows no boundary of time. And that really works in our favor because he can help us avoid what's coming around the corner that we don't even know is coming around the corner. You know, COVID didn't take him by surprise. The pandemic didn't take him by surprise. All these supply chain problems didn't take him by surprise. God knew it, okay? And we're not going to get into all this theological discussion on why did he let it happen and so on. We'll do stuff like that later on in later uh, podcasts because God gives us answers. God really reveals a lot more than we think he does. But here... Jesus is saying, I want you to come into the moment. When we come into the moment we're in, what happens? Number one, we become sensitive to the presence of God because he dwells in the moment. Number two, we become uh, open to miracles, miracles happening to us, in us, and through us, and around us. We end up seeing miracles. Why? Because God performs all miracles in the present moment. If we're not in the present moment, what do we miss? We miss the presence of God. We don't see him in the moment if if our mind is in the future or the past. We don't see the miracles of the moment. And um, we don't get to experience his joy, his peace, his understanding, his incredible wisdom. It's all ours, but it's only available in the moment we're in. So Christ is telling his disciples here, come into the moment. Don't put off ministry. 
don't put off being what I'm calling you to be. My disciples, come into the moment and be it right now. So whatever moment you're in right now, I'm inviting you to come into the moment. Now, what happens? When we come into the moment with God, we literally turn off the light switch, the power switch, to, a, to everything that our past holds for us, regret, sorrow, uh, anger, bitterness, all those things no longer have power over us. And the things that still our mind into the future that cause us worry, stress, anxiety, dread, fear, uh, all they lose their power over us when we come into the moment with God. And I'm going to show you how to do that. Now, now, before I show you, I want to show you, go back to our story and watch what happens. This is truly amazing. Jesus is sitting there. We're going to rewind, okay? And um, so Jesus is sitting there, and up comes a woman. Now, she comes to that well to draw water for herself so she can fill her water pot and go back home. And um, if Jesus will say he is his mind is 20 minutes in the past. There was an argument, we'll say, between Peter, who was real rambunctious and a lion, and uh, an, an argument between him and, we'll say, uh, the apostle John, the disciple John. So they're arguing back and forth before Jesus comes to the well. Imagine if his mind was even 20 minutes in the past, and he's thinking, oh, Father, oh, I'm so tired of being a referee Moms, you know what that is when you have to referee your kids. He says, I, I'm just tired of being a referee. Lord, can you, Father, can you please do something with Peter? Make him not so dogmatic and do something with John. Make him uh, find his voice and speak up a little bit so I don't have to be the referee. Now, if he's living in that past, what happens? The woman comes to the well, fills her water pot, and walks away. He misses the miracle that God wanted to perform in that moment. We'll say he was um, he was eight hours in the past. Father, I had a lousy sleep last night. Oh man, I am so tired in this desert heat. Uh, oh, I wish I hadn't had that bad sleep. Boom, she comes and goes. Now we'll say he's in the future. He's thinking, okay. Father, I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten for hours. Uh, please have the disciples bring back something that's delicious. I'm so hungry. Uh, can you just have them bring some, some good food back? Boom. He's living in the future. She comes to the well, fills her pot, and goes. Oh, my goodness. How about if he's eight hours in the future? Father, I can't wait for tonight. When it's just you and me, we're going to have such a great conversation. I'll be able to unload my heart, and I'll be able to listen to you. I'm so excited about tonight. It's only, it's only eight hours away. Boom, she comes to the well. She goes, she leaves. How about if he's, um, how about if he's uh, three days into the future? Father, I can't wait till the weekend. I can't wait till the Sabbath. Uh, oh, man, we're going to, I know you've got some big plans for me on the Sabbath, Boom, she comes to the well, she fills her pot, and she walks away. Can you see what the difference is? Because he was in the moment, 
He was able to relate to her in the moment she was in. She didn't come to get a lecture. She didn't come to the well to hear about theology. Uh, She didn't come to, to the well to hear about the four spiritual laws and how she could become a believer in Christ. No, she was coming to the well for one thing, water. And because Jesus was in the moment, what did he make the conversation about? Woman, uh, can you give me something to drink? Whoa, he is coming into her moment at that very moment. And she now engages in the moment with him. How is it that you, being a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman? She's in the moment. Now, does he real quickly shift the conversation to something theological? You Samaritans uh, suck. You guys are so far off from truth. Glad you're finally here. I'll, I'll tell you some truth. No. No, he stays in the moment with her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Oh, my gosh. What the heck is living water? Well, It could be something special like water that's alive, or it could be ever-flowing. That word for living is the Greek word that also means flowing. I'll give you water that just flows and flows and flows. Wow. And then they go on into the conversation. What happens? Because he's in the moment, he so engages her that she wants to know more. She wants to know truth. She goes from a life focused on sin and on her own. Can you imagine what her self-worth was? Women won't even talk to her. Probably her family wouldn't talk to her. Uh, If she was married with kids, one of those five times, those kids wouldn't talk to her. She was an outcast. She had such low self-esteem. You know, my heart breaks for her. I have met people, not just women, I've met guys, where they thought so little of themselves. They had no idea that God loves them. And yet here, the Messiah has engaged her. She gets so excited, she leaves that water pot. Men come out to hear Jesus because of her. And a whole village is evangelized, and Jesus stays an extra two days to disciple. They get discipled for two days by Jesus himself. Can you imagine if Jesus came to your church this weekend or if he came to your home and he says, okay, look, a lot of bad stuff coming down the road, but a lot of good stuff. So let me prepare you. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to show you how you can have complete peace, how you can have a level of joy that the world knows nothing of. But I'm going to show you how you can have that Would that be too exciting? And you say, wow, are you really Jesus? Are you really the son, the eternal son of the eternal God? He says, yeah. And he's right there with you. Well, that's what he was for two days with the Samaritans. After his resurrection, tradition tells us that that woman became an evangelist. And those men, that they went throughout Samaria, throughout the countryside, telling people that the Messiah was crucified, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, and they became disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus was in the moment with a 
great influencer? No, you know, I, I'm in marketing and and we uh, we have a company and and we talk about social media in our marketing meetings and different influencers that get excited about our product and they can influence millions of people. Hey, this was not an influencer. This was not a woman that men respected, that women respected. She was nothing. She would be, uh, honestly, she'd be referred to as trash. And yet Jesus turns trash, cultural trash, he turns into kingdom treasures. She became a treasure in the kingdom of God because she had this one-on-one encounter with Christ in the moment. So let's talk about this for a minute, and I'll tell you what you do. Okay, there are red flags that tell you your mind is either in the past or in the future. And whenever you encounter those red flags, if you know that God wants you to be in the moment at that time, like when you come in in front of other people, you know, you walk into an office or a grocery store, doesn't matter where, or you get home with your family. Whenever there are people in front of you, God wants you to come into the moment, the moment with him and the moment with them. And uh, so here's the red flags that say you're in the future. Anxiety, fear, stress, We're rarely stressed about what we're doing right now. Typically, we're stressed about something that's in the future. may only be something that's 10 minutes from now. You're going to have a meeting with your boss, and who knows? He might lay you off, or he might criticize you or say horrible things to you. So you start stressing. Well, that's living in the future. Dread. You're dreading a phone call that's going to be coming. You know it's going to be coming, or your boss says, hey, you need to call such and such, and you're dreading that call. Okay, that's living in the future. Another one that you don't think about is anticipation. I remember uh, when uh, I was about to have my first child and thinking, yeah, it's only only a few hours away. I am going to be looking in the eyes of my baby. Now, that's exciting, and there's nothing wrong with thinking that. Unless somebody walks by me and says, excuse me, can you tell me where such and such, where I go? Okay, I need to come into the moment. But that's living in the future, and that's anticipation. Now, there's nothing wrong with anticipation. There's nothing wrong, honestly, with with, uh, dreading something, and stress is something that we go through naturally, but we don't have to. Jesus offers us a level of peace. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world can give, give I unto you about his joy. He says, I I tell you these things so that my joy will be in you so your joy will overflow. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to experience the miracle of God's presence in the moment and the miracle of people God puts in front of us in the moment we're in. Okay? So those are the red flags that you're in the future. What are the red flags that your mind is in the past? Well, sadness, you know, the present moment usually doesn't make us sad. Uh, regret. Now, these are things I've all, all of us deal with. There are things I really regret in life, and I'll be walking along, and all of a sudden I'll think about something stupid or, or very sad that I've done, 
and I'll have these huge regrets. I'll give you one right off the top of my head. Uh, I regret that I didn't spend more time one-on-one with my father while he was alive. I was busy building business. I was busy with my family. All that's okay. But I didn't have near the time with my dad. And uh, when he died, you know what I wanted to do? I was standing right next to him, and he wasn't there anymore. And all I wanted to do was to rewind. Just, Lord, just give me five minutes. Give me two minutes. Give me 60 seconds with my dad. And I couldn't rewind and say thank you for fighting in World War II so your son could grow up and have a peaceful life. I couldn't do that. Okay, that's a regret that I have. And it's okay. You know what? Looking back sometimes helps correct present moment situations and future situations. So it's not like the past is evil. It's just that in the moment we're in, uh, it can rob us of what God wants. So right now, for example, I'm here with you. If I'm thinking, gee, I wonder what's going to be for lunch today, uh, I'm leaving the moment I'm in. And God has ordained and told me to be in this moment with you right now. So it's critical that I'm not in the future. I'm not in the past. I'm in the present moment. So the past red flags that say we're in the past are sadness, regret, shame, You know, you've done things wrong. I've done things wrong that I'm ashamed of, but shame tells me I'm living in the past. Uh, Resentment. Okay, some guys, some uh, there's some particular people that have done some very evil things to me, and uh, and I could resent them. And if I feel myself feeling a feeling or a thought of resentment, guess what? I'm in the past. Nostalgia. Nostalgia is fun when it's good. You know, I think back about when my kids were born. Man, woohoo! That feels so good. But I think back at my father's death, and I was 20 minutes late getting to the hospital. He died 20 minutes before I could get there. My mom, same thing. And um, that's not good nostalgia. I think about those memories, and it instantly takes me down and takes me out of the moment. Okay. So those are the red flags. The question is now, what are the reset buttons? How can we bring ourselves directly into the moment? Well, number one, acknowledge the flags. You're thinking about what's for lunch today or what's for dinner. Um, uh, you're thinking about, okay, I want, hope my, my son does good in the ball game or my daughter does good at her track meet or whatever. Um, and I can't wait till I get out of work and I go to their practice or to their meet. Those are, those are flags that are saying, you're in the future, you're in the future, you're in the future, you're in the past, you're in the past. Acknowledge the red flags and then hit the reset button so you can come in the moment. And you don't have to come into the moment all the time. But when you're with somebody or you're thinking about God, you want to be in that present moment. Okay, so here are the reset buttons. Jesus himself gives us to us. Number one, lift up your eyes. Stop looking down, stop looking around, lift them up and look at what's right in front of you. Number two, look at the field. See if there is a harvest. Maybe you see an elderly person drop something at the airport. Come into the moment, go on over to them, pick it up, hand it to them. Don't make them bend down or don't let them bend down by themselves. Uh, I love airports. I spend a lot of time in airports because I travel. uh, My job takes me all over the world. And um, I used to spend about mm, 180,000 
uh, miles a year to 250,000 miles a year. And um, so I, I know airports. I know international airports. I know domestic airports. And um, usually, oftentimes, uh, in the past, during our time in Afghanistan and Iraq, I would pass troops, you know, individual uh, soldiers in their uniforms or their fatigues. And I found I, at times I would stop them right in the hallway if they're not running, if they're walking. And I'd say, Can, could I just have a minute of your time? And they always say yes. And, uh, you know, these young guys are so cute. They say, yes, sir, you know. And uh, I said, you know, where are you off to? Well, uh, I, I'm deployed. That's as much as I can't tell you where they're really going. But he says, I'm, I'm deployed. I'm starting a, a, a new deployment. And I would typically say, well, can I just take one or two minutes and right here pray for you and for your deployment? And when I say that, it's almost like their soldierness, their, their hardness, their stiffness instantly re- relaxes. And the normal response is, yeah, thank you. And then I make a real short prayer. I pray for them. I pray for their families. I pray for their deployment, that God would keep them safe and that they would know his presence and experience his presence. Uh, and that's pretty much kind of what I pray. It usually takes maybe 30, any, I'd say 45 to a minute and a half at the most. When I finish without fail, they are so grateful. And they express, they'll typically grab my hand, they'll hug me, they'll say thank you. This change. I actually had one soldier said, you know what, you've completely changed how I'm going to my deployment just in, in, in that short time. I can't even believe you did this for me today. I didn't do anything. I just came into the moment. This is life-changing. You know, uh, as an executive, uh, I used to walk into offices or, or different things, and, and I wouldn't even notice people because my mind is living in the future. I know in, in a half hour I have to drive out to set. I'm going to be directing major celebrities in a television production. And my mind is there, okay, I wonder what mood they're going to be in and so on. It's not in the present moment. And I'd walk right by people. Well, when I realized this concept, I started living in the moment. And it was truly life-changing instantly. So here's your assignment. Wherever you are right now, you're probably listening or going somewhere. The next person that comes into your moment whether it be a family member, a friend, an employee, a peer, uh, come into the moment. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them about something they're going through. How's your family? If you know the name of their spouse or your kids, or they told you yesterday there was going to be, how'd your son do in his little league game? Just come into the moment. And life, I promise you, life will change immediately. Well, that does it for now. I could actually talk about this for hours because it's so life-changing. John chapter 4 was our text, so go back and reread that and see for yourself the power of Jesus coming into the moment. And um, there's more we can get from that whole story, and and we'll look at that another time. But uh, God bless you, and uh, I'll see you in the next, uh, or talk to you in the next podcast. Thanks.